0: We're excited for Greg to bring our concluding message. He brought such a wonderful word this morning about just how we as Christians are commissioned by the Lord to be in the gates of influence, and he's going to continue with that theme, so I'm going to turn over to Greg right now.
1: Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you here tonight, all you that uh, have gone through every every day and called in sick or whatever you did to your your boss, great job, I know that's not easy. We sang a song tonight about the Lion of Judah, it reminds me of my grandfather, my grandfather had the heart of a lion and a lifetime ban at the zoo, and um, anyway that was a joke, If your neighbor didn't get that, just explain it later. All right. We see here that uh, how to minister prophetically in the gates of influence. If you were not here this morning, we talked about the, the idea that gates are places of influence in our society, in our culture, and how that in the, in the ancient times, they would build walls around cities and they would be huge walls of protection and that every, every so often they would put access points called gates. And there was so much activity that would happen in that gate. And whoever controlled that gate literally controlled the whole city. So if an enemy would attack a city, they would not try to tear down the walls. They would They would go after the gate because if they knew if they could access that point and take control over that, they could literally now have impact and influence in the whole city. So we talked about this morning how that God has put gates all around us and that many of us are standing in these places. And I said it like this. I said, we are simultaneously experiencing two things. We are influencing someone or someone or something is influencing us. It happens every day of our life. Some of us are influencing more than others. That's okay. We all have different platforms. We all have different gates of influence. And so tonight I want to talk about what do we do in those places? Because as you know, in some of the jobs that we have and the careers we have, it's illegal, right, to evangelize at that place or to talk about Jesus in the school system or to, you know, if you're a high school teacher, to really be blatant about your faith in front of everybody. You get in big trouble, you know, with the administration. So how do you stand in a gate of influence and be... A child of God, how do you uh, use that influence in a, in a positive way, in a kingdom way that will impact people there without losing your job, right? Or without causing conflict or, or having security called on you because you're standing on top of your desk at your cubicle preaching, right? I don't suggest that you do it that way, okay? So, you know, there's many ways that God wants to, to do that. And tonight, I'm going to talk about three keys that God has given us to be able to use when we stand in these gates of influence. All, through, all of us in this room have these three keys. It's not that, well, those keys were given to the special people, and so the special people or the more spiritual people have those keys, and, and I don't. No, all of us, as you will see, have these three keys. I want us to, to read a, a verse that, that, for me, is very key in what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 16 And verse 19, I think it's up here, yeah. All right, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is talking to his men and saying, listen guys, I'm the king, I have a kingdom, and there's keys. There are keys that cause the kingdom to open or close. And I'm going to entrust to you some keys. And I find this fascinating because, you know, in my life, I, I've had some of those scary moments. And, and dads, you know what I'm talking about. The moment that you hand your car keys to that 16-year-old that just got their, their driver's license. How many dads know what I'm talking about? And you, you hand those keys to that, that daughter or son. And, and it's like you see them drive off with your nice car. And it's like, oh, God, help me, right? It's like... The moment you let go of the keys, you're letting go of power. You're letting go of authority. You are entrusting something very valuable to a person. And I see here Jesus saying to his disciples and saying to us tonight, listen guys, I have keys to my kingdom. And these keys I'm entrusting to you. I'm giving them to you. And that for me is, is a big deal because Jesus, that means Jesus trusts us. Think about that. Jesus is trusting us with a kingdom that he is the king of. He is trusting us with the the things that are in that kingdom. And he says, listen, Greg, listen, listen, everyone, there there are these keys. And then he goes on to explain in this verse, he says, "This this is how the keys work. Whatever you let go of on the earth, something over you in heaven is released upon you. Whatever you hold or retain or bind on earth, something in heaven is bound up over you. So he tells us, I have keys, and this is how my kingdom operates. There is this releasing or retaining that takes place, and it has an effect in heaven. Now, for me, that's very interesting. And so as I started looking at, you know, what were the different places in Scripture where the heavens were opened? Think about it. There was, there's a few places in Scripture where the heavens were opened and something from heaven came down and impacted the earth. And if you look at the several uh, stories in Scripture, they're almost always the same. Someone on the earth did something out of obedience, and they released obedience on the earth, and it had an impact in heaven that opened the heavens, and something was released over them. Remember Jesus, when he was, came to John and said, you know, please baptize me. And Jesus was baptized in water. What was Jesus doing? He was being obedient. He was showing us that water baptism is very important. And that um, he himself said, I need to be baptized also. So he was acting in, a, in a, um, a step of obedience with John the Baptist. So the moment he stepped into the water and the, he came out of the water, what happened? The heavens opened. And something was released over his life called the Holy Spirit. In Malachi, it shows that when we bring our tithes and offerings into the storehouse, it says that some kind of window in heaven is opened over us, and he begins to pour out a blessing we cannot contain. There are many stories throughout Scripture where we see someone on the earth Releasing something out of their hand, and something supernatural is downloaded in that moment over their life. Now, this is the key for us, I believe, of what we're going to be talking about when we stand in the gates. Because there are three things that I believe God has given all of us that we can release every day. So let's talk about key number one. Key number one is found in Acts chapter 8 and verse 25. So, This is what it says, they, therefore, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The key word that I'm looking at here is the word testify, testify. Every one of us in this room has what we have, what we call a testimony This word testimony is is a a legal word that we get from our court systems where a, a lawyer is building his case and he looks for witnesses, and a witness comes on the stand and sits there and he swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help him God, right? And what is he doing? Why is that witness there? The witness is there to express what they saw, what they have experienced, what they felt, they're trying to express the facts that I have witnessed something here in this case, and I'm here to testify or give a testimony of what I saw. It is a personal testimony of what they have experienced. They saw the accident. They heard the screams. They saw the crash. They saw who was responsible. And now they're there on the stand in front of all everyone else, and they are there to testify of their experience. So one of the things that we see in this, in this verse is that they went about testifying. Now, for some of us, if we said, okay, I want all of you to go to work tomorrow, and I want you to preach, and everyone would go, I don't know how to preach, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to prepare a sermon, I don't know how to, you know, get all the notes accurate, and I guess I have to watch TED Talks for a while, and I have to figure out how to do that, you know, in such a short time, and, and so we, we have, that could really freak us out, but... Testifying is different than preaching because testifying is something that is personal to you. It is something that you have experienced. It is something that you have have experienced in God, and God has done something in your life. So every one of us in this room have what we call a testimony. Now, your testimony is different than my testimony. What you have experienced could be very different than what I've experienced. Now, there are some core values that are the same, but I tell you, our history, our story is very different from one another. And that's what's so unique about our testimony. So each one of us in this room has a testimony of what God has done in me what i 've experienced in God, the things that he 's changed me that he 's healed me that he 's set me free, I was an addict, and now i 'm not an addict i was I was bound up by, by, by this uh, uh, addiction and i couldn 't be free from that, but Jesus set me free from that addiction it 's kind of like my grandfather, not the one that has the heart of a lion, but this is a different one My grandfather when he was uh, a young man he was an, he became an alcoholic and he would drink excessively every single day. And his, his routine every day was, uh, you know, he would go to work and uh, even though he was from a religious background, he was not a religious man. His family was very religious, but he, he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. So he would go to work and uh, he was a man that had a very vulgar language. Everything coming out of his mouth was a, a swear word, every other word. And and I, I didn't know my grandfather like this. This was before Christ. This was B.C., right? Before Christ. And so, uh, but he tells me all these stories, or he did. He's in heaven today. But he, he told me all these stories. And he said, Greg, I would go to work every day, and, and I, I was working around some very tough characters. And so they would always, they would always try to pick a fight with me because they knew I had a volatile temper, and they loved to fight and box and different things at work. Can you imagine that? and uh, so it was a very rough uh, uh, industry they he was uh, in the tire industry so he was working you know, with rubber and all this kind of stuff and just a very very difficult situation and so these guys would always try to pick a fight with him because they knew he loved to fight and he was had this really short fuse and so they would always get up in his face and swear at him and different things and they would end up in fist fights, and I don't know how he kept his job but he did <laughs> and um So they would end up, you know, in this, you know, verbal battles and all this kind of stuff and fisticuffs and everything else. And so at the end of the day, he would always go back uh, on his way home. He would stop at a convenience store, the same one every day for 30 years. For 30 years, he would stop there. He would buy a uh, like a 12 pack of beer. He would buy a fifth of liquor or more and he would go home and drink till he would pass out. He did this for 30 years. He was an alcoholic. He could not set himself free. It was causing problems in the family. It was causing problems in, with, with uh, uh, even his work and even worse and things would just get worse and worse. And they continued to escalate. My grandmother was a believer in Jesus Christ and there was a special service they were having at, at her church and she was inviting there was, a, there was an evangelist there preaching about the gospel and all of these things and and he, she kept inviting him, please come, please come. He said, no, I don't want to go to that. That's not for me. God's not for me and all this. And finally, the last day, she convinced him to come. He sat in the back row. And the man was preaching about Jesus and who Jesus is. And he's speaking about the good news of, of who he is and what he can do in your life. He was testifying of what had happened in his life, of how God set him free from alcoholism. My grandfather sitting in the back row listening to this good news, (laughs) good news of a testimony of someone that had been set free in the same area that he has an addiction to. He's so touched by God's love and by the message of hope that when the man said, hey, does anyone want to accept Jesus Christ? My grandfather came forward and gave his heart to Jesus that night. This is what he says. He says, the next morning when I woke up, Greg, I, I went out to my vehicle and, and the sky was blue. There was something that happened over my eyes. It was like the sky was super blue t- this morning. I was like, this is so weird. What's going on? You know, it was, this was before HD, but it was in HD, right? And, uh, and so it was, it was this moment. It's like, what's happening to me? It's so weird. This is the next morning. He's on his way to, to work and, you know, the first guy, as he walks through the door, gets in his face, begins to swear at him, you know, trying to pick a fight. And my grandfather clenches his fish, ready to go after him. And something inside says, you don't need to do that anymore. He goes, what's wrong with me? He lets, he lets go of the clench. <laughs> Says, I'm not going to fight you today. Yeah, but you are. Blah, 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 blah. Beep, 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 beep. And just goes after my grandfather. And my grandfather starts, there's something inside, Starts. to, I'm going to let him have it. And something inside says, You don't need to say it like that anymore. This is the first day after getting saved. First day of opening his life to Jesus Christ. After work is over, he drives to the same convenience store out of habit. Opens the door, getting ready to get out to go buy what he's always bought. And something inside says, you don't need that anymore. He closes the door and never touched another drop to the day that he died. Hallelujah. But he heard somebody's testimony. Somebody's testimony that is the same problem that he was having. You understand, the things that God set you free from is the area that God is going to use you to touch somebody's life. Because that area in your life, you can speak with great confidence. And you have great authority in that area because no one can convince you that you didn't change. No one can convince you that I was sick and now I'm healed. And you're trying to tell me God doesn't heal? Wait a minute, let me tell you my story. And now you can speak with confidence. This is what God can do. And this is the amazing thing, that in our, in our uh, gate of influence, guess what? There's going to be many people around you daily that have the same problem that you had. You say, oh, that's just a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. God has strategically set you in that place He has strategically put you beside those key people, and you hear them or you overhear their conversations. Maybe for years you've been hearing them talk about the same thing, and you just kind of go on with your day ignoring them. But really, God put you there to testify, listen, I know you have a bad back, but listen, God, uh, I was healed one day of a bad back. And just that one statement begins to put hope in a person's heart that has no hope. You see, your testimony is one of those things that you can release anywhere. I love to do this. Uh, you know, there's many days in my, as I travel in, in airplanes, almost weekly, and so I meet lots of different people from all different walks of life. And, um, you know, on this one flight, uh, I was sitting, I just sat down on the plane, and this, you know, very well-dressed businessman comes sits down beside me. And um, as we're sitting there getting ready to take off, I think I told you this story in Messengers, but as I was sitting there getting ready to take off, this beautiful, beautiful woman comes onto the plane. And um, <clears throat> so she's dressed very sexy, very attractive, very seductive, all of those, all of those things. So she comes down the aisle. And he's sitting in the aisle, and this is what he does. She, she's coming in. She, he just goes like this. He walk, as, he, as she walks down the aisle and then he, go, he comes like this he turns back to me and says did you see that and I said yeah I have one of those at home and uh, <laughs> gold star gold star for me <clears throat> he goes what, what? he was taken back by what, what do you mean you have one of those at home I said yeah my wife man she is hot she is awesome my wife is amazing I love her so much. I don't need that. I have, some, I have a better than that at home. He goes, what are you talking about? He couldn't believe my response to him. But what was that? Testify. Testify. There was a day in my life where my head would have turned. There was a day in my life where I was controlled by lust. But not anymore. And we were able to have a great conversation just by testifying. Do you understand? So many times we think testifying means evangelism, and so we've got we to jam the gospel down people's throat, and you got to accept Christ today. That's not the idea. Testifying is literally to make people thirsty. Remember, you're salt. So when we use these little expressions about our testimony of what God has done, the person gets curious, and they say, tell me more. You understand? And so we need to learn how to do that, how to use our testimony to make people thirsty. And this is so, so powerful. You see, your reality of God in your life has given you an authority and a confidence now. Now, if I minister to a drug addict, for example, I can, based on biblical principles, I can talk to him and give him good news but my life was not a drug-style life, That's, so I don't understand that life. But if you were set free from drugs, you carry a different authority than I carry. You carry a different confidence than I carry in that area. And so now you can speak to that man his language. You can talk his language. You know what he feels. You know what he goes through every day. You understand the addiction and the drawing power of those things and and the the feeling of hopelessness and, and failure that I can never overcome this. You can speak that language to that man. That's why your testimony is so powerful. But watch what happens. When we release our testimony, something in heaven is released over us. Remember, that's how the keys work. When we release something, something's released over us. And <clears throat> this happens in, our, in these gates of influence. When we are there, we're talking to people, we're interacting with people. One comment releases something in a moment that God wants to do something in this person's life. And it can bring hope to that person. It could be a moment where, hey, hey, let's go to the restroom. Let's go pray for one. Can I pray for you? Or let's go pray in private. Whatever it might be, there might be this moment just by a, a testifying or a testimony that is so powerful. You know, people have said it like this. Our tests became our testimonies. Our mess becomes our messages. You understand? And it, I, I really like that expression because it really puts into words that my mess was different than your mess. My tests that I've gone through, different than your tests, but, but now I have something that I carry with me wherever I go that I can use to talk to people. And guess what? This is the key. The key is that we're listening. You know, sometimes we act like we're not listening. <laughs> you know, we're at the supermarket, we're at our job, we're at different places, we overhear conversations, and, and that conversation... That person is describing how I used to be or what I used to, you know, struggle with or I used to, and we think, oh, that was just a coincidence. We just keep on walking. No, that is a clue from God because the problem in them is crying out to the answer in you. And the answer in you is right there beside them. And so that cry, it may not be a cry that, oh, please help me, but they're just having a conversation, but you overhear it, or in their conversation at work, they say something that triggers something inside of you. you. go, that's me. That's how I used to be. That is God's signal to you. That's God's signal to you to take that moment and testify. I'm not saying that, oh, you need to accept Jesus Christ, and you're a sinner on your way to heaven. No, I'm not talking about all of that. I'm saying, listen... I had a problem with that area too, but I was set free. Just that one statement, they're going to say, well, what did you do? Did you go to a program? Did you go to, a, you know, a counselor? Or did you go to psychology? What? How did you go get free from that? It opens the door to talk more about it. Amen. Key number one, your testimony. Key number two, <clears throat> we see this in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. It says this, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Key number two. Key number two that all of us carry. We are carrying tonight, wherever we go, we are carrying abilities and talents. Abilities, talents, and the third thing we're carrying is gifts. Now let's differentiate, differentiate these, these three things. An ability is something that I can study, and I can develop, and I can practice, an ability. If I really tried hard, I could, I could develop an ability to play the piano. But it would take me a while, and I would struggle at it, and I'd have to practice a lot, and I'd have to go to a teacher, and I'd have to do all of those things to try to develop an ability. But I would never be able to play like Ben. I couldn't do that. Why? Because Ben has a talent a talent is something that's God-given that is inside of you since you were born. God put these different talents inside of us that, that people will make these kind of statements, these help us to identify. When we were little kids, they would say, you're a natural at that. What are they really saying? They're saying, you don't even have to try. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just super easy. You, you sit down at the piano and you just, and it's beautiful. And it's like, That's not fair, how can you do that, right? And um, we see this in athletics. We see people that are just, they have a talent. It's like they don't even have to try to be good at this sport, they're just good at the sport. They have a talent. Others of us, the same sport, we have to develop an ability to even compete, but still we're way low uh, according to their talent. Each of us in this room have talents, and we have abilities. But the third thing that I think Ben talked about uh, in the afternoon is we also have gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And there are gifts that the Holy Spirit has put into our lives. We didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. He chose, and He put these gifts inside of us, and we literally carry these three things with us wherever we go. But look at the principle. It says that a man's gift will make room for him so i believe that one of the gifts or one of the keys that we can use in our in our platforms of influence in our gates is when we begin to use our talents our abilities and our gifts notice that it doesn't say here in proverbs it doesn't say a man's education will make room for him and bring him before great men it's not what it says in fact there are lots of studies now that even in the united states that Uh, a a master's degree or you know several degrees do not guarantee you a job but you have a gift you are really talented in the area you probably are going to get chosen before someone else that might even have a greater educational level than you do i think about you know the first time i prayed for a president uh, God, at, when I was 18 years old, God spoke to me. And said, "Greg, I'm going to use you to speak to to people of great influence and great authority, uh, presidents." He uses that word, and I'm thinking, "Wow, me? Really, God? You're going to use me?" You know. And um, I remember I was flying to the Dominican Republic, and a, a good friend of mine, the a pastor, he uh, picks me up at the airport. And he says, "Greg, we have a full, you know, uh, week of." of meetings and everything else, just like we normally do. I go there once a year. And uh, he said, but on Wednesday, we have a very special meeting. And I said, he goes, we have, I have, we have a meeting with the president. He wants to meet you. He's asked to have a, an appointment with you. And I said, right, you're joking, because we joke a lot with one another. And I thought, you know, he's just pulling my leg, right? This is really the president, you know? And I thought, well, maybe a president of a company or the president of a business or whatever. And he goes, no, 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 the president of our country knows you. He wants to meet you. He's asked to have an appointment with you. I'm thinking, I don't even know this guy. I've never met him. I've never, I I, I don't know him, but somehow he knows me. So uh, come to find out, one of his assistants goes to this church, and she told the president that we have this prophetic guy coming to our church, and God gives him messages for people. And he goes, oh, a fortune teller. Can, I, can, he, yeah. can you have him come and, and, and meet with me? He goes, she goes, no, no, it's not a fortune teller. Uh, but God speaks to him about things, and, and uh, he prays for people. Oh, can he pray for me? So anyway, through the assistant, connects to me, and so now I have this appointment with the president of this country. And I, it, I was like, are you serious? And um that day we I went with the pastor and we went into the pal we went got to the palace, you know, lots of military people and, and the big machine guns and everything else and, and we pull up to the palace and and we tell them who we are and Oh yeah, the president's expecting you. We know who you are, Greg. And uh, Mr. Miller. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And and I we drive up to the 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 front door of the palace. And, you know, these big guards come out. They open the door for us. There's some personal assistants come out. Say, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for the president's waiting for. Please come this way. And they put us on this, on this elevator. We, we take it up to the fourth floor, third floor, and it opens up into the presidential office. And in, right in front of the doors, there's these two big gorillas, these two big bodyguards, right? And these massive men, and, and they, you know, are, are very intimidated. They're like, what are you doing here, kind of feel And the president from behind his desk says, no, no, guys, it's okay. I've been waiting for him. That's Greg Miller. I'm thinking, whoa, the president knows my name. And as I'm stepping off the elevator... The president says, oh, please come here and sit down. And here's a, you know, nice couches and everything. And I sit down beside the president. He says, you know, uh, I just want, I'm so happy to meet you. I've heard all these things about you. And I'm, I'm really glad that you're here today because I'm facing things in this country. I really need you to pray for me. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You understand, I'm, I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm just this young guy, but there was a gift there was only one reason I was in that, that office that day. It was because of a gift. It had nothing to do with education, nothing to do with where I was from or, or my family background or how much money I had in the bank. It had everything to do with a gift. So I start telling him, we start talking a little bit about our background, and I, I mentioned I was, I was brought up in the Mennonite church. And when I said that word, he goes, whoa, my family was Mennonite too. And um, immediately, click. I was just testifying about my background, my, what, my you know where I came from, and there was this click that happened with me and the president. And now, he goes, "Oh, could you please pray for me?" And as I'm about to lay hands on him, of course I'm sweating like crazy because <laughs> all the way around us, there's senators, there is all these you know bodyguards, there's military people around us, all being very careful what I'm going to do to the president. And so. I put my hand on the president's shoulder, and the bodyguard immediately comes to my side, and, and the president goes, it's okay, it's okay, back down, right? <laughs> down boy, down boy, right? <laughs> and, uh <clears throat> And in my mind, I'm thinking, where are you? It's like God's asking me the question, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in the president's office. <laughs> he goes, I told you about this when you were 18, didn't I? A, gift's, uh, a man's gift makes room for him. Do you understand the gifts that God has put inside of you, the talents, the abilities, and the supernatural gifts are not there by coincidence. God wants you to use those in the place of influence. You have been giving supernatural gifts, natural talents, and abilities to be men and women of influence. We see this in the life of Daniel. We see in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were the smartest. They were the most intelligent. And it brought them before great people. And Joseph was the same thing. He had a gift to interpret dreams. How did he get to stand beside that, that guy of great authority? Because of his ability to interpret dreams. He was, he was brought out from the prison. Think about that. A prisoner standing beside the king. Why was he there? Because of a gift. Understand what you have. Understand that you're standing in that gate, not empty-handed. God has put things in your hands, called your testimony. But number two, your gifts. So I began to prophesy over over the the president. Tears start coming down his face. As God begins to speak about his life and some of the things that he's facing. And um, that was my first time with him. I had two times since then, but our two times all together, and amazing, amazing. I I walked out of that moment, and I thought, God, this is incredible. This little boy from a village of 1,500 people in southern Michigan, and I'm sitting with the president of a country. How did that happen? It happens because of a gift. You understand, and God has put gifts, talents, abilities in you. They're there for a purpose to impact people's lives. They are there for a purpose, not just to talk about who God is, but to show people who God is. The reality of a changed life is powerful. Hallelujah. Let's go to number three. Our third key that God's put in our hands. We find this this concept in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It says this, even Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, most of us will read this first part, and, you know, in a new covenant church, charismatic church, Pentecostal churches, it will emphasize the first part, the first part of this verse. The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. We say, yeah, 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 Right. But notice the, the, the steps here. Step one, he went about doing what? He went about doing good. And that opened a door for healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. But notice the progression. The first step was he went about doing good. And I want to encourage us that this is one of those keys that is so easy to do. Doing good to people. (laughs) Serving people. Loving people on purpose. uh, You know, being kind. Being polite. And I know, well, this is Canada, Greg. That's how we are. Well, yes, that's true. But there is a, there is a an intentional kindness, an intentional goodness, an intentional service that we want to do. And it's interesting that Jesus, it says, went about doing good. Now, what are some of the good that Jesus did? Well, he fed the hungry. Remember that. He, uh, took care of His disciples, the natural needs of His the disciples. There were natural things that Jesus did. It says that He had compassion on the crowd. He fed the crowd. He healed the crowd. There was a progression in Jesus' life of doing good, and then the supernatural followed. I think sometimes in our our zealousness to touch people, influence people, we've tried to to do the healing part first, the saving part first, without doing good first. And I think sometimes we've got the cart before the horse and so people are sometimes are really turned off by the message or our aggressiveness or you know our 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 message that we're trying to get to them and we're trying to be aggressive and trying to to evangelize right and and I feel like there are moments where where we have pushed a person into a corner and they react they respond to it and they we we get rejected so we get we get discouraged and we don't want to do this anymore I remember in, in the church I was, grew up in, they had this, this uh, program that was an evangelism program. And so I was a young man, I was about 15, uh, 14, 15, and I was very excited about God, very enthusiastic, and the pastor of that church invited me, said, hey, Greg, uh, let's go and visit people. So what, what would happen is visitors come to our church, they would fill out the visitor's cards, and <laughs> we would take those cards... And we would look at the cards and we'd make a schedule. And we, on Wednesday nights, the pastor and I would go to these, these houses to harass, I mean, to evangelize people. And uh, we would go there and, and uh, try to meet with them. And it was so funny because, you know, we would pull up into the driveway. The lights are on in every uh, room of the house. But the moment we pulled in the driveway, click, 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 click. <laughs> And we'd knock on the door and ring the doorbell. No one would come to the door. And uh, it was it, for me, it was kind of funny because it was, it was like we had this hit list. You, I felt like a hit man, right? The, we're going to go get these people, you know? And, and so we had, a, we had memorized a system of all the right questions to ask, all the right verses, which I'm not against that. I think we need to know those kinds of things. And we need to know what the Bible says. But it was almost like we were not there for anything else. We were not there to be their friend. We were not there. We were there to evangelize you, and you need to get saved. And if you, don't, if you die tonight, where are you going to go? You know, I mean, we'd put the heavies on them, and it would, it would really sometimes not turn out very well. And I just remember that. I was 14, 15 years old, doing this with my pastor and, and going through that routine and feeling the rejection and feeling, you know, uh, you know, like the bouncer at their house, you know, accept Jesus or die, right? <laughs> Turn or burn. And, and, you know, and all of these things. And it was like, there's got to be a better way, right? <laughs> and um, I think that in the world we live in today, Jesus has given us a strategy. Doing good to people can open the door to spiritual conversation. And sometimes we think, well, we've got to have this big spiritual impact. We've got to have this big spiritual influence. We've got to tell them all the right messages, all the right verses. And, and sometimes we are trying to push people into decision mode before they're even close. And if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus was surrounded by circles. What do I mean by that? Jesus would come into a city. The city would get excited about him. Some people would come out and hear what Jesus has to say. There would be another circle that's a little closer that had needs, and they would say, Jesus, please pray for us. He would pray for them. He would meet their needs, but they didn't follow Jesus. You had others that would get a little closer and um, would, would begin to follow at a distance. And then there were the 12 that that had made a decision, I'm gonna follow him with everything, but there were these circles of influence. And sometimes we are dealing with people in the gates that are on the farthest circle, and we're trying to shove them all the way, one jump from there all the way to the center circle, be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes people say, mm, no thank you. And in fact, we run into lots of people that have been harassed by obnoxious, pushy Christians. And now there's these big walls of defense around them. The minute you say, I'm a Christian, or the minute you say, I go to this church, click, 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 all these, all these defensive walls go around them. And it's like, hey, in there, I, and there, it's hard to get over, right? And many times it's because somebody has tried to push religion or push Jesus on them in some way. I see that this is a strategy that Jesus walked in and demonstrated for us, doing good to people. I was at a Denny's in Florida, and uh, there was a big group of us. We were, we were uh, there after church, and so there was about 20 of us. I uh, was, was with all this Spanish church and all these Spanish pastors, we were all speaking Spanish. And, and, um, and this, this lady was just working so hard, working so hard, and she was doing a great job, and um, so I was speaking English to her, but speaking Spanish to everybody else. And and so I was the one kind of the spokesperson for the table. And so I was really, you know, hey, thank you so much. I know this is a big job. It was about 11:30 at night. It was super late, and I here, this big group comes in, right? And so uh, at the end of the at the end of the meal, she had divided the bills up. So she had given me my bill. My bill was ten dollars, and you know, so in the US we we give 10 to 20 percent tip. So I reached into my wallet and I, I you know, pulled out the dollar, two dollars. I thought, hey, two bucks, you know, that's pretty good. And I was about ready to put it on the table. And God said to me, not that bill. And I I opened my wallet again, I put the two dollars back. There was a twenty dollar bill. So I said, Do you mean this one? I pulled out the twenty dollar bill, gonna put it on the table. I thought, whoa, now that's that's pretty generous. He goes, Not that bill. And there was only other, one other bill in my wallet. And it was a $100 bill. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, God. <laughs> By, my, my meal cost $10. bucks. i am going to put $100 on the table. He said, that bill, I want you to give that bill to her. But give it to her personally. I said, okay. You know, in my mind, of course, we have all these battles. Or it's only me. Or you have those battles too. <laughs> but in our mind we have these battles and you know that your mind is one of your greatest enemies because your mind will always talk you out of obeying God it will always give you the reasons why it won't work don't do it okay don't listen to your mind in that moment listen to what God's put in your heart doing good to others is not just hey have a wonderful day let me open the door for you sometimes God's going to ask you to be super generous with people and I'm thinking to myself I need this hundred bucks I mean that's in here for a reason God and I'm telling God you know negotiating with God well you know maybe I could take it to the cashier we could break it maybe change it into 50s and I'll give a 50 I mean I was negotiating with God in my brain right and saying you know this is a lot of money God, I've never given a tip of a hundred bucks to a waitress and I, this is this is a big step for me all right and so but I've learned, I've learned that doing good opens the door to spiritual conversation. It really does. And so uh, as we, I get up from the table and we're walking towards the cash, re- cash register to, to pay, the, the waitress is walking towards me. So I stop her and say, excuse me, ma'am, you did a wonderful job tonight. And uh, I want you to have this. And I, I had it folded in my hand. I shook her hand. I left the, the money in her hand and I just keep walking. She suddenly screams out, excuse me, sir. Wait, wait a minute. And she and I turn around and we walk back. Now there's tables, there are lots of people in this in this restaurant, right? You know, serving God is not going to be comfortable. And if you're waiting to be comfortable for God to use you, you're gonna wait a long time and you're gonna miss lots of opportunities. So now she's screaming out to me to stop me. So now everyone is looking at this. And I realize, whoa, this is, a, this is one of those God moments. You understand? And, and so she comes running to me, says, excuse me, sir, this is, this is too much money. I can't take this from you. Your, your bill's only $10. I can't take this from you. And then God gave me a word. He said, listen, God is real, and he wanted me to let you see how real he is. He knows your need. He knows your financial need, and he wants to show you how much he cares for you and how real he is that he heard your prayer. When I said that simple phrase, she begins to weep uncontrollably. She sinks down into the closest chair that was by her, and everyone's, you know, giving her Kleenex, and and I'm thinking, whoa, this is church service in Denny's. And, uh, and, uh, She's sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. I'm going, oh man, what, what's going on, right? And she goes, uh, you know, she finally gets some composure and she says, Listen, uh, uh, my daughter, my three year old daughter, today at our apartment, we had the eviction notice. And the, the, the manager, the administrator, had told us, You got to pay your rent or you're out. I didn't have the money. And I told my daughter, I said, if God is real, let him show me today. (laughs) You understand that? This is a moment where God uses generosity, doing good, to open a spiritual moment. And I was able to talk with her some more about who God is and and how he takes care of it, how he hears us when we cry out. And uh, it was one of those amazing moments that not just for her, but for me. You understand? It's like this was, it became addicting then. You understand? It became addicting to me. And, and uh, I, I, one of the things that I changed in my life very quickly is to become a generous man. Because I had a friend of mine, he was a, he was a waiter at a, at a restaurant. And uh, he wasn't a believer. But he was, we had a great, great friendship. And he said to me, he said, Greg, you know, uh, I like working at, the, at, at this restaurant. I make a lot of money except... I said, except what? Except on Sundays. I said, well, what do you mean, except on Sundays? He goes, yeah, on Sundays, when all those religious people come into our, our restaurant, but they are the stingiest, selfish people on the planet. They will leave these little books. And I said, what do the little books look like? Well, there's like little cartoons in the books and there's these messages on it. I said, oh, those are tracks, but there's no money on the table. He goes, I hate Sundays. I'm thinking, whoa, he has seen the wrong Jesus. He really is. He's seeing the wrong Jesus. He's getting the wrong picture of who God is because these kids are not portraying who God is in the right form. Our God is a good God. He has done so much good for us. We need to do good. And doing good to people opens incredible, incredible doors. We call this loving on purpose. You understand there's a difference when I am doing something because I have to do it or when I want to do it. There's a big difference. It's kind of like that moment when your wife says, honey, what do you think about my dress? I mean, that's a very dangerous question. You know, what do you think about this outfit and does it make me look fat? I mean, that's such a loaded question, you know, and it's, it's like walking through a minefield. It's like, ooh, ooh, tiptoe. <laughs> And um, don't hesitate. (laughs) Don't hesitate. Well trained. -trained. (laughs) You understand what I'm talking about, brother, yes. You know, and you can say the right words, and they pick up on it immediately. Oh, you don't mean that. I mean, they can sniff it out super quick. Wives are just like that. They can sniff it out really quick if you really are genuine or not, right? Right? Well, so do people. People know if you're genuine or not, you're just going through the motions because pastor told us we got to do it this way. No, come on. They can sense, they can discern if you're genuine or not in your goodness towards them. They can sense that I'm just number 47 candidate today that Greg has to talk to about Jesus and I'm just a number to Greg. You understand? No one, no one, wants to be treated that way. These are God's creation, and we need to be treated, the way he's treated us and the goodness he's shown upon us, we now become that portrayer of goodness to other people. It can come in the form of a compliment. It can come in the form of politeness, manners, opening the door for people. It can come in the form of Lots of different things. I, you know, uh, I was at Walmart one time, and there was a, a lady behind me. She had a, she had two little children, and I was paying for my products. And I said, "Listen," I slid some cash to the to the cashier, and I said, "When she gets up here, pay for all of that." And uh, I I just walked out. So the lady, I could, it was a, it was pretty far. It was Walmart, so it was a long ways to the door, and and so. As the lady comes to the cash register, and she, she realized, whoa, wait a minute. She ran after me. She said, sir, why would you do that? You don't know me. I said, I don't know you, but God loves you, man, and he, he, he provides for you. You understand, there are so many ways you and I can do good to people to show who the Father is to them that opens doors that will later lead to very, a lot of spiritual talk. It says Jesus went about doing good and then healed all that were oppressed of the devil. You know, part of the oppression on people's lives is going to be pushed out by goodness. Just like in our lives, it says the goodness of God led me to repentance. It wasn't the judgment of God. It wasn't the pointing finger of God. It was his goodness in my life that did something, that broke something in me that led me to Repentance. Goodness in us treating people in a good way, a nice way, serving them, being generous to them, helping them, opens something up spiritually that I believe when we release goodness, something is happening in that minute over that person. Something from heaven is released in that moment. I believe that is a supernatural moment in that person's life. So I want to encourage you tonight. All of us are standing in gates. All of us are standing in these places of influence. And God has put these three keys in our life. Key number one, our testimony. Key number two, our gifts. Key number three, our ability to do good to people. You understand, all of these three things are possible for all of us to do. It's not just for the spiritual few that, that are really talented, the professionals. No, all of us carry these three things. And in those gates, we can use them In a very, very powerful way. Amen. I'd like us all to stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want us to think for a moment of the people that are around us every day. You've been maybe going to that job. You've been been at that school. You go, you talk to them about everything else on the planet. But it's like I stay away from that topic. And we are almost, you know... The hidden Christian and we are the closet Christian and I want to encourage you tonight God set you there for a purpose you say well I'll invite them to church I'll invite them to the special meeting and good luck (laughs) many of them don't come but Jesus says it's okay they don't want to come to this church or this church building I'm going to send my church to them you are that church you are that representative. You are the only God that some of them will ever see, the God in you. That's what I'm talking about. So, Father, right now, as we stand here before you and we are thinking about all of those individuals around us that we work with, that we, we exercise with, we play with, we do all these different activities daily, um, God, help us to understand how important we are that you chose us to stand on that platform and that you put inside of us and you put into our hands these keys of the kingdom and the things that you've done in me, God, is not just for my benefit, my blessing, but it is to be a blessing in that area. And I just pray, Father, right now that you would put a courage in all of us, that we would, in those moments where our heart begins to beat really fast because we know we're supposed to say something, our heart beats really fast cuz you know you're asking us to do something extravagant for someone. You're asking us to give and and to bless somebody and be generous with somebody. Help us, Lord, in those moments not to negotiate but simply to obey. Because, Father, there is a great adventure waiting for us. There's a great adventure that is going to open a door for them to experience who God is. Not just hear about God in theory, but to experience who God is. Father, let us be that church. Let us be those people that are standing here in in Vancouver and in Canada and the different places that you've set us, that we would stand there as faithful representatives of who you are and the kingdom that you have. Father, what an honor that you chose us. So, Father, from the, the least of us to the greatest of us, from the ones that have been a Christian for one month or 20 years, it doesn't matter. We all have a testimony. We all have gifts. And we all can do good in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. God bless you. What a powerful way to just end our conference. I think it's so practical, so powerful, so doable. I think it just comes home so clearly to us that each of us have these tools at our disposal wherever we're at as Greg was preaching, I was thinking about just how it was 120 people that were in the upper room and they shook the whole city. It doesn't take 1,000 people. It doesn't take 10,000 people. Just 120 people filled with the love of God, willing to step out in little steps of obedience and allowing heaven to open up over you, over a person, over a girl at Walmart, over a waitress at Denny's, over someone at Hive Cafe, over someone in your cubicle, wherever it's at. So, Jesus, we we just thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Lord, let not the seed be stolen in any way. God has spoken to you tonight. God has spoken to me tonight about some things that I can do to just cause heaven to open up. And make sure that you just follow through within the next month, if not the next week. Make sure you follow through so that this will become part of your story of how God allowed you to be in the gate of influence to shine for the Lord and to allow the kingdom to advance. Father, I pray for a deep refreshing to come upon all of us. I pray as we go to rest tonight that you would just give us wonderful sleep. Lord, as we get up for church tomorrow morning, we have another day that you have given to us to just celebrate you. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.